Blog Talk Radio. July 15th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and if you were listening to me last week, you are noticing that I do have my voice back, so I will be able to take a bigger part of the discussion today than I was last week. I do thank James Valiant, my guest from last week, for saving me in so many ways. Uh, If you didn't hear last week, I think you will definitely enjoy it. So do check it out because James had a lot of good things to say about the failure to indict Hillary Clinton. Today, however, we are discussing something a lot, I don't know, do you say more ominous? You know, I'd say that a cause and effect occurs, you know, because you have someone like Hillary Clinton, who is permitted to be in a position of leadership in our country. And the consequences are that justice is not done, that we are not defended. Our rights are not defended the way that they should be. There is a leadership vacuum in the world. Our country has not led the way against this Islamic enemy. And the results are continually more and more atrocities like we just saw in France yesterday. Uh, For those who for some reason don't know, there was a horrible terrorist attack in Nice, France yesterday. And by the way, the New York Times did finally get the headline right. I've seen little images of the New York Times Okay, can I be heard? Because I'm just getting the word from blog talk that I'm being reconnected via Skype. How is this working? Can I be heard? Let me see. Yay. Okay. So I got sound. Excellent. So someone told me that I have been disconnected since about three minutes after the hour, which is terrible. Hey, okay. So where was I? I was giving a whole dissertation on, on the nihilism that is involved here and that before the atrocity in France yesterday, somebody want to tell me where I left off as, as if I'm going to be able to pick up exactly the same train of thought that I had. Oh, I hate when I'm talking on, on dead air. Anyway, uh, my whole my whole point was that the nihilism that I was going to be talking about earlier in the week, which is nihilism with respect to the office of the president by Obama, the nihilism with respect to the rule of law and perhaps any epistemological standards at all, from Hillary and her 
apologist, Loretta Lynch, these types of nihilism are, of course, connected to this ultimate nihilism that we saw in France yesterday. And this ultimate nihilism is a, is a, a nihilistic terrorism. And I'm not sure if you heard me. I was giving credit to David Cohen, who's a friend of mine on, on Facebook, a, a journalist, who I had not seen the term actually nihilistic terrorism before, but you would distinguish the type of terrorism that these Islamist, Islamic scum, uh, scumbags use, which is targeting innocent civilians, deliberately targeting innocent civilians without any hope of a you know distinct military objective just for the sake of destruction. This is distinguished from some terrorist movements in the past that confined what they did to military or government targets that were related to an arguably potentially legitimate goal. Here, what you are doing is you have a group of people who are dedicated to establishing the superiority of the most nihilist religion. And religion itself, to be clear, I do believe that religion is a nihilist thing, but I could talk about that in a different show. Uh, clearly, Islam is the most nihilist religion there is. And all of these scumbags are dedicated to establishing the superiority, the supremacy of that religion over the so-called infidel. And in, you know, in service of that end that they are trying to achieve, it stands to reason that they're going to commit the most nihilist, most horrific terrorist attacks. And this is what we saw in France yesterday. But I submit that the two are connected, that insofar as we have nihilist leaders like Barack Obama and perhaps Hillary Clinton to come, that we will continue to have a government that will not defend us physically, that will not defend our rights, and therefore we're going to see more death, more nihilism of the primary, most insidious, most horrific kind that we saw yesterday. That was in essence what I was saying while I was disconnected by blog talk. I just, it's it, it just horrific. In any event, if you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you will see the ambitious list of program notes that I have today. Of course, I'm already behind thanks to Blog Talk disconnecting me for those few minutes, which is a shame. But yeah, go to don'tletitgo.com and you can see what I have on the agenda. Again, we are going to start out here with this horrific nihilist terrorist attack in Nice, France, but then we will go on to a couple examples of domestic nihilism that I had already planned to discuss this week. You will notice, though, at the end of the program notes for today that I have put in a heavier dose than usual of positive news items and articles and just a couple of things that are kind of fun at the end. And, of course, I deliberately did that to try and counter the horribleness of today. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be bad if I put a heavier dose of good news items on a daily basis. So go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to check out those program notes. In particular, there's a, a slew of YouTube clips that you should check out after the show. So go ahead and check that out. Oh, it looks like Direct Connect uh, belatedly was going to offer to actually connect me. Lame thing that it is. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick here with the Skype that we've got. Okay, I'm back over in the chat room at... Uh, don't let it go. Oh, people are asking me, do they want me to say which is worse, Hillary dismissal 
vis-a-vis niece. I mean, I would say that one leads to the other, so we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, welcome, everyone. Thanks for those of you who have hung out. Maybe some people had left while I didn't have any sound. If you, if you did hang in on the, on the live call, I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, again, very, very much appreciated. Go to DontLetItGo.com. Like I said, check out the program notes. If you want to call in and talk about any of the topics that I have there posted, 760-888-5817 is the number to do so. Again, that's 760-888-5817. So, again, going to the New York Times article updated today, as far as we know, 84 dead, 202 injured. This terrorist scumbag, 31-year-old Tunisian named Mohammed, ran a truck over a crowd of people celebrating liberty in France and did so for a full mile, as I understand it, hence the high count. Uh, imagine if any of those people had been armed and able to take this guy out maybe within the first few hundred feet and what lower body count that you would have, and then you would see the wisdom of gun control, just as a, as a side thing here. But they say, yeah, there's a third major terrorist attack in 19 months that we have seen. I actually, when I go over to Facebook and I wanted to show some solidarity with the, the people of France who have been attacked there, I just pulled out the profile picture that I had from the attack last November, and it was all, you know, what was it, right around November 13th. It's, all, you know, almost the same day of the month in, in November last year when the horrible jihadist attack a nightclub in France. Um, now, we see in the New York Times, we have Prime Minister saying we will not give in to the terrorist threat. At the same time, I've heard quotations since saying that he's saying that we just have to live with terrorism. Oh, yeah, it's right here also in the New York Times article. The times have changed and France is going to have to live with terrorism. Of course, this is completely wrong. Why is it? Because none of the Western world, and particularly United States, which could lead in this regard, has adopted a proper foreign policy stance. No country in the world is, well, maybe except for Israel, at least in its rhetoric, right? Israel in its rhetoric will declare self-righteously its moral right to its own self-defense. And Israel is pushed up against the wall way more many times than any other country. France is starting to, you know, see what it what it's like to be Israel on a daily basis. But, the, you know, this idea that you just have to live with terrorism, that you're not going to try to eradicate this enemy to actually eradicate the threat to your life and, and well-being is one of the saddest things ever. And, and, and yet, because of the acceptance of certain moral codes in the Western world, namely altruism, the idea that you sacrifice yourself to others, therefore you're going to pull your punches. You're not actually going to do what is necessary to eradicate this enemy, and then you're just going to continue to live with this threat is a very, very sorry state of affairs. Just giving some of the basic facts, it was starting around 10.45 p.m. Thursday. The attacker mowed down scores of victims in Nice with a rented 19-ton refrigerated truck 
before engaging in a gunfight with three police officers who pursued him down a storied seaside promenade before finally killing him. Prosecutor identified the man as Mohammed Buhel, Buhel, I don't know, Buhel, I guess is how you pronounce it, uh, born in 1985, so 36 years old, raised in a town in northeastern Tunisia. Uh, then they searched, and I think that they also ended up finding another truck with explosives and ended up finding somebody who was associated with that truck. You know, trucks don't just go and kill people on their own. So this is the error in some of the earlier headlines that you saw, you know, just truck. No, this is a terrorist attack. These are jihadists who have decided to target innocent people celebrating liberty, liberty, the pre- precondition of a truly human life in France. And, you know, make no mistake about what it is that they were attacking, make no mistake about what their motive is, and make no mistake about what could be done to eradicate this threat and this enemy that our leaders are refusing to do. And then, you know, if you make no mistake about this and you see this with your eyes wide open, you wonder what can anybody in our shoes do about it. And that's what we're going to try also to grapple with on this show. I do have a call that I'm going to go ahead and take. I do think it might be Bosch Faustin. Is this Bosch? Yes. Welcome to the show. Sorry for the delay there. I guess Blog Talk decided to kick me off. I wonder if it was all a mere coincidence or it's the fact that I'm actually saying con- something controversial and true today that resulted in me being kicked off the uh, direct connect there for a bit. You, you, you never know. It was a few minutes long. You never know. Mm-hmm. But, I, but you are on the air now, and that's good. And anyone who yeah, stays, I mean, hopefully, hopefully everyone stayed. This is, this is one I, yeah, I hope days, everyone stayed. I think what we're going to have to try to do is figure out how to download the right. show afterwards and edit that chunk of dead yeah. airspace out uh, so that I don't lose people with the with the podcast right. and everything. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I, I saw that you were definitely uh, tweeting and, and posting some things about this yesterday, and, and in particular yeah. you were talking about the you know the reticence of our leaders to do what needs to be done. Why do you think that they are reluctant to do what needs to be done? Well, because first of all, they're they're liars. They don't respect truth. They don't act on truth. They can't condemn a religion. They can't condemn this ideology. Uh, a lot of them see it as a quote unquote brown ideology. They actually refer to it as such. Some of them. It's uh it's a uh, you know it's multiculturalism, political correctness fear of saying anything that is true, just acting on it. And also this, this whole thing where, you know, they have to come out, they act, I mean, they, if they defended the West the way they defended Islam, this war would be over completely. The, the jihad would be wiped out, obliterated from existence. And, you know, I, I wrote basically, I said, those who rule out wiping out the jihad because innocent or guilty civilians might accidentally be killed, jihadists target civilians. They target right. civilians. This is their purpose. This is their motive. And a, a, as you said earlier, there's no, there was no political thing here. The whole thing was there was an article in, written in Al-Qaeda's magazine called Inspire, quote-unquote, Inspire, believe it or not, mm-hmm. that basically said that um, it told Muslims to go get trucks and buses and uh, go into heavy you know, populated areas and mow down as many innocent human beings as you can create as much carnage as you possibly can. So this is, this has been established already. What the guy did last night. 
it's right, right. But, part, you know, part of they 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 do have a cause though, right? And and again, I can't remember course, if I was saying course, this during the three minutes of dead airspace, but their cause is to establish the supremacy of no their religion. And you know, no I, and I, I think I think also during that three minutes when I was off the air, I said, yeah, you know, all religions are actually nihilistic. They, I mean, in a, in a way, right? You know, you could say that they yeah, are only, destructive. They're, they're only now, now, they're only rational. Islam is the most dangerous. right. I, I guess I guess all irrational. So I mean, they're okay. All religions are destructive, but I would say that this religion is particularly nihilistic, right? Um, yes. In the sense that yes. it, it, you know, it, it preaches. Um, you know, hate, and it preaches violence, I think, you know, in a way that no other religion does. And, and so, uh, if and you, you know, if, if was, you're, if you're fighting, if, excuse me? Prophet was a warlord, unlike other, right. other prophets. That, that's important right. to note. Right. And, and so if you're, you know, trying to work for the superiority, the supremacy over other people of a nihilistic religion, like Islam, it's no—it's not a surprise at all that you're going to use these horribly nihilistic tactics where you are targeting innocent civilians, including children. Yep. There's a you know a heartbreaking photo of yeah. a child lying on the street with a with a doll. Oh my you god! I mean, I was, I mean, you think I, about this. I was Everyone trying to think. Right you know now. what 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 would you do? I mean, what would you do if 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 something like that happened to your child? You know, um, do you go and you join the Yazidis or whatever? Overseas, I was thinking what I would do, maybe, I mean, I, I was thinking, well, of course, you know, you speak out, right, against this horrific threat, but maybe yeah. you just go, like, I would maybe, because I'm a woman, I would just go join those feminists in France, right, and go out on the Champs-Élysées right. and, and demonstrate, you'd have to do something. You have to of, do something. I mean, you have to do something, because that kind of thing, that kind of horror, I mean, you know, this is from Florida, this is in France, but you think about it, there were human beings there with their children trying to enjoy life and celebrate freedom and, and the like fireworks and everything. Yes. And they are there and their child gets run over by a guy who's screaming Allah Akbar. And that's, right. everyone knows this. He was screaming Allah Akbar. And you think about the, the horror and what these people want to do. And then you have these politicians out there like the scumbag, you know, piece of crap from France saying, you know, basically, uh, you know, we, um, how do you put it? Uh, we're we're going to have to live with uh, terrorism. Yeah, we just have to live with, we just have to live with this. Now, you know, you the, remember, a thought that just, a thought that just came in my mind, right? It's, you know, this is this guy saying God is great. Now, not that any of the mainstream news sources are going to let you know that this guy is screaming Allah Akbar while he's doing this. Yeah. Translation is great. But if people actually you know just look at this as an image some guy screaming god is great while he is mowing down yep. innocent children is that not the best anti-religion advertisement you have yes. ever seen in your life this yes. is what actually if, nope. if, if you take religion to its fundamental extreme this is actually what it ends up meaning yes. but i don't you know, I, don't, I don't want to pick, i don't want to pick a fight but i am so Upset. I don't want to pick look, a fight that's of people why. with the religion. I know that. I know people. that. At, at the same, yes, but at the same time, if you think about it this way, post 9 11, there was a real desire to uh, promote religion as good, if you, if you recall, because they knew that that is religion at its absolute most naked horror 
when you got some guys flying planes into buildings, they are, they are, it was an act of faith. They thought, they believed with all their heart that right. they would fly into paradise. You can't do, you cannot do that with anything else besides religion. You, I mean, religion is what motivated them to do that. Nobody, nobody, I mean, nothing outside of religion can actually make men believe that they're going to fly into paradise by killing thousands of human beings. Nothing but religion. And again, the same thing happens after every atrocity. There are Muslims who come out to defend Islam, and there are religionists coming out to defend religion. And I had to put, I had to note it again. I said, Islam is religion. It's politics. It's ideology. Islam's religious mm-hmm. nature is its force field and greatest weapon. It's, it's, it's sure, it, it is its sword, its shield. Denying its religion may make religionists feel good about religion, particularly their own, but it only denies the reality that only religion can make men believe that flying planes into buildings will, will deliver mm-hmm. them into paradise. And, and now, again, as a, you know, as head, again, you know, again, though, right? I don't, I don't want to, you know, pick no, a fight not. with my no. religious listeners. And, and, and I still stand but, with the idea that I would vote for Ted Cruz enthusiastically in today's context, Me too. even though he is extremely religious. I don't think, you know, you know, again, he tries to really compartmentalize. We could all talk about that on another show, but you know, let, Setting that point aside, right? I mean, okay, so here we see we see these jihadists, these jihadists deliberately target innocent civilians and children, and we are tying our hands behind our back, and we're not going after this enemy because we think that eradicating this enemy completely might result in some civilian collateral damage. Right. There is something really I'm, wrong when we won't think about that, this. Right? Though. You know what? And, and also one thing: uh, Bill Clinton in the '90s was delivered Osama bin Laden. He had him then and there. They could have wiped him off the face of the earth. And he was with a Saudi, as far as I know, a Saudi from the royal family, and other quote-unquote civilians. Those kind of civilians, to me, are expendable. I don't care if they're children right. or mothers or fathers, because those fathers knew who someone lot was. And they brought their children there to endanger them. They could have and should have been all killed in that area. And Bill Clinton allowed it. So what he was saying was, I won't, I won't do that because civilians. A few years later, 3,000 American civilians get wiped out because he didn't act, because right. he didn't do what he was supposed no, to exactly, do. No, exactly, exactly. And, and what, what they're doing is they are making it clear that our choice is going to have to be their civilians or our civilians because they are the, no. ones, who, they are the ones who are setting up the conditions such that in order to eradicate this threat against Western civilization, which is what it is, in order to yes, fully eradicate this threat, we have to be willing to have kill to. some civilians. Um, not to. that we would target them, not that we would target them no, deliberately. That's not our but thing. That, and even, no, yeah. no, and no matter what happens, it's like this, when, when, when Muslims come out there, backlash, 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 preemptively bitching about it, right? Uh, there's no backlash. We're not Muslims. We don't act like that, like savages and go out to look for some brown-skinned person who we think might be Muslim, beat them up. We don't do that. We are not going to target civilians. That's not our thing. But if Osama bin Laden or the head of ISIS is around 200 people that are quote-unquote civilians and we can wipe them out, that's too bad. That's too bad because those people knew who they're with. They are part of that, of that threat. And that, right. I mean, we cannot pretend that these are human shields and because we, by, by killing them, we are protecting ourselves and our civilians. You got exactly. 2,000 exactly. Americans and, wiped and, out in one shot. Exactly. You got and, and 80 so the, people the, the, 
the the two things the two things that we need to distinguish is first of all insofar as we have in history actually arguably targeted civilians and this is, has not really been since world yes, war 2 it was it was it was only in the context of the necessity to eradicate a threat against american lives and and citizens right. property etc and we and, thousands of americans but, but so so you have to do two things. First of all, you have to be conducting a proper war of self-defense, and you have to come to the conclusion that this targeting of civilians is the thing that is necessary to eradicate this threat with minimal loss of life on our side. And these are the two standards, by the way, that are laid out in the book Winning the Unwinnable War, which is edited by Alain Journo of the Ayn Rand Institute. I have that book, the link to that book, in the program notes for today's show for people who want to check it out. Because I don't want to yeah. just talk today about, oh, my God, there's this horrible nihilism. The question Absolutely. is, again, I feel like there, there's two things that you have to do in, in the name of a threat like this. Obviously, you do have to pronounce judgment, and you have to identify it and where it comes from. And, yeah, we have to do it in some small way. Each time it comes up, we're going to have to acknowledge and, and uh, discuss it. But at the same time, you want to talk about what is the solution that could be being pursued that is not, and that solution is in that book, Winning the Unwinnable War, by... Uh, you know, again, edited by Alain Giorno, but Yaron Brook and others yep. have contributed to that book. And they talk about what it would require to properly name the enemy, although they use a terminology that I would never use, Islamic totalitarianism. Why not just jihad, uh, Sharia jihadism? Well, I will right? say this. Uh, so Elon Giorno's piece in 2006 in the Objective, in the objective Standard. I yeah, think I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to go into the whole terminology I'm issue saying, again. So, well, well yeah, I'm but just saying, the, read that article. Right, that right. is the article. Right. But the fact that they're using this terminology, you know, again, they at least realize that we must identify of the course. enemy, that, that it's, it's not just, quote, a magic incantation to recite Islamic right. terrorism or Islamic terrorism or however you put it, when you are actually connecting Islam as the motive, then you have given yourself permission to selectively look at Muslims as potentially being a risk. Now, again, you know, I will, uh, you know, like everybody else say, yeah, most Muslims are not a risk at all to us, right? There's a lot of people who are... Especially the ones in the West. Especially the ones in, in the West. Yeah, especially the ones who live in in the West. Uh, you know, but in terms of looking at, you know, more profiling of Muslims and things like that, that is perfectly justified given the link of that religion to the motivation of these killers, these horrible, uh, vicious scumbags. So, so no, not all Muslims, obviously, um, most of them peaceful and, and everything else. Why argument. because? Why is this because they don't it's, take no, their... It's, it's, no, but it's, it's a stupid argument. It's like not all objectivists are, are killers, you know. It's like if, if one objectivist was to say kills, it's just it's a stupid thing. It also condemns your own ideology. Well, if you have to go out there and say not, not all of us are killers. If you have to go point out not all of us are evil, think about that. And then, and then you think about, okay, who was the first Muslim was what? Was he a killer? Yes, he was. Yes, right. he was. He was a warlord. So that can, right. you know, that can bring that's down not, the entire ideology. The question is, who takes a fundamental, fundamentalist perspective on their religion? Who takes their religion seriously? Those are the jihadists. You know, that's 
that's the discussion. But, you know, so they say you have to actually name the enemy. It's not just a magic incantation. It is something right. that will actually, it'll actually guide your actions to properly exactly. name, to name the connection between Islam and this terrorism, this jihad. So, so there's, there's that. Then, of course, they talk about more broadly beyond the Islamic threat, but very applicable here, the idea of fighting a proper war of self-defense and taking whatever action is necessary to eliminate the threat with minimal loss of life and property on our side, that we should yep. not feel like we need to sacrifice a whole bunch of our soldiers in order Absolutely. to eliminate this threat and be morally justified to do so. The idea that joining the military should be seen as you actually agreeing to sacrifice, that is unacceptable. And it's only because of these horrific rules of engagement, which would be abandoned if our leaders would follow the ideas in that book, Winning the Unwinnable War. So, I don't, I, you know, again, I don't want to take more time on it than that, but I don't want to just hear in this show go, oh, God, there's all this horrible nihilism in the world and there's no, no. solution. There's a solution, but Absolutely. people are not taking fast enough to save our butts. And you know what? It's, so. it's, it's identifying the enemy, identifying the ideology, identifying it, and then acting on what it takes to, to defeat that, whether it comes to okay. knocking out care out of America. I mean, we've got to get these rats out of here. Every time they come out there and they, prop, you know, they, they, they propagate the BS that Islam is peace, they tell Muslims to not cooperate with the FBI, they are in on it. This is part of, of the problem also, the, the, the ideological aspect. It's not just the military aspect. And right. the Saudis allowing them to come in here, 80% of mosques in America are quote-unquote extremists, Saudi-funded. I mean, the vast majority of ones across the, across the planet, thousands and thousands of mosques uh, from, from a, an enemy state, you know, funded by an enemy state. This is unacceptable. So, yeah, I mean, right. on every level, to identify the enemy, to identify his ideology, and go after him by whatever, by whatever oh. means necessary. Yeah, exactly. And whatever is necessary to eliminate the threat with minimal loss of life and property on our side. Right? Our side. Stop worrying about so-called innocent yeah. civilians that are over at the enemy. They have made it and clear that it's their civilians are ours, and we are morally justified in defending ourselves properly. And we just we and just haven't done it. Let me let me ask you this though, Bosh. Um, sure. So Holland has actually gone out yeah. there. I have the video. People, again, go to DontLetItGo.com, and you can check out the program notes. Um, Holland has actually gone out there and said that the country from end to end, essentially, is being um, you know, threatened by, you know, the way they translate it in New York Times, Islamist terrorism. But we don't mm -hmm. even know whether that's an accurate right. translation. It could be that he was right. actually using just Islamic terrorism, which right. I think would be the more yeah. appropriate term. The point is, is that here's Halan stating the obvious, not that he's going to take the right attitude about what to do about it, but he is at least naming this enemy in a, in a certain way, yeah. uh, whereas Obama won't do this. What do you no. think? I mean, is it – why? I mean, well, first of all, he has a hard spot for Islam. He was raised a Muslim. He oh, you're talking about like really... why, why Obama? I'm, I'm more interested in why Holland is actually naming it. Well, the, you, you the, know why? Because he feels, you know why? Flat out, he looks at the horror, he feels really, really bad. 
Do you understand? Good. He feels really bad. But what I'm saying Good. is this. Not- Last year, 120 French people were wiped out. What has he done? Yeah. What has he done? He's what did he been do on high alert for however many months, and no, now but, he's no, going to continue no, but, no, the high alert. No, but that's what I'm saying. He didn't do anything yeah. to make sure this, that this didn't happen. 120 people, human beings in France, were butchered last year, and he did shit. Excuse me. He did nothing. Nothing. Right. He talked right. a good game. Now 80 people got wiped out. If he did some major forceful action against ISIS, they would have thought twice about doing it, and he didn't. So now, to me, it's rhetoric. But again, he feels really bad because maybe he knew yeah. someone there. Maybe he knew some people well, there, and, and, and it's a, it's, it's a horrific yeah, sight. Today, today, also coming out from various sources, but the source that I have is uh, Daniel Greenfield over at Front Page Magazine. Uh, they're talking about the fact that there has been testimony about evidence that's suppressed by the French government that the killers in Bataclan, they tortured their victims on the second floor of the club. Oh, my God, yeah. Listen, and this is just this is after fact, right? I'm going to read this because people need to realize how incredibly nihilist this enemy is. This is not freedom fighters. This is not, oh, my gosh, they are, you know, suffering economic and stuff. These are people who are out to destroy for the sake of destruction. They actually believe that the more destruction and horror that they perpetrate, the more that their God is going to see them with favor in his eyes and give them the virgins or whatever the other stupid things that are promised in the, in the Quran. Yeah. So listen to this. Uh, Wahhabist killers, and this is uh, Daniel quoting from an article about the news. Wahhabist killers apparently gouged out eyes Castrated, oh castrated victims and shove their testicles in their mouth. They may also have disemboweled some poor souls. Women were stabbed in the genitals, and all the torture was, victims told police, filmed for Daesh or Islamic State propaganda. For that reason, medics did not release the bodies of the torture victims to the families, investigators said. Let me. This is just, let me, uh, just coming out. So, you know, Halan should feel particularly shamed today. Let me say something that, here also about this, if you don't mind. I have uh, friends sometimes, and they put photos, which I completely I dismiss. I don't want to see this, but I, I will say this, though. There's also this problem. We are a civilized people. Yeah. We live in civilized society. We do not want to hear these things. And that's a big problem, especially when we're at war, because these kind of things, Halan thought, we can't hack this. We can't handle this. And a lot of us can't. But the fact mm-hmm. is, that's their, they have to send it out there to make it clear of what's happening here. These are not just, these are, I mean, these are monsters is what they are. They're monsters. And you, yeah. the way you, you defeat them is by telling the, tell the truth about who they are, what they are, what they do, and then wiping them out. And again, 120, I, I believe that's what it was, the count of the final death toll last year in France. 120 people in France were butchered, slaughtered, tortured, eyes gouged out. And what did he do? They put him on high pay? alert. Yeah, they put him on high alert for last year. And so to me, unless this scumbag does something, and protect his people. It's all rhetoric. And again, he feels bad right now. He feels real bad. You know, 
But that's about it. And that's why maybe he's willing to say Islamists or Islamic terrorism. That's why he's willing to say it this one time. But that's it. I, I mean, mean one, you know, one, they one will... thing he should well, – I was going to say one thing he should do is he should take up the offer of Benjamin Netanyahu, who wrote him a letter today offering to join with France against this common enemy. I mean, France is becoming the new Israel, or at least France is the new Israel where we're getting the news, right? Because Sweden right. has also been living the life of Israel oh, yeah. for quite some time, although it doesn't seem to make the news, the, the mainstream news, right. nearly as much as what's going on in France. I'm not sure why. Uh, but Sweden has it's just not suffered all sorts it's of just not, It's just not as horrific. It's just not as big, not, not as horrific. That's really what it comes down to. You know, okay. they can't put a cap on it last night. They just can't put a cap on it. If they could, they would. Hollande, yeah. if he could have covered this up, he would have. Absolutely would have. Right. If, if, if our government could have covered up 9-11, they would have. But you can't. And that's why these guys got to be so dramatic. These scumbag terrorists are such drama queens. You know, they got to make sure 9-11, daytime, this, that, make it so dramatic and, you know, make it so like a movie as far as they're, as far as they're concerned. Optics, drama so to speak, right? Optics. Yes. Absolutely right. They want the drama. They want it out there. Look what we did. Look what we did. And look at this guy, you know, did, did last night. And, and again, you know, this Muslims are out there on Twitter and whatnot, defending what? Not talking about the horror, not condemning the, but, but defending Islam and its reputation as if it has any kind of reputation that's worth noting, any kind of reputation, especially now. 15 years after 9 I mean, you know, again, I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to talk about anti-religion optics, right, all you got to do is you have to be a person who You're values right. human life. And then you just have to see the image of that scumbag chanting Allah Screaming Akbar Allah. Yeah. while he is God driving is yeah. a truck, running over a little child holding a doll. And you, you really got to wonder at that point, you know, and he's doing it for, Religion. He's doing it to get to paradise, to get to those virgins. That's why he's doing it. He knows in his mind, in his the lack of mind, he knows that that's why he's doing it. He's not doing it. And as I said before, yeah, we know there's no political, technically, reason here and there, yes. But ultimately, ISIS would want them to do this so it can scare the hell out of France. They change their policies, then you know, make it easier for them to, to get away from the Oh, yeah, no, no, again, becoming, they, yeah. they have, they no have their reason. They have their reason, yes. but their reason is to establish the supremacy of an evil ideology. And right. so their reason is not justified. So, you know, sometimes in the past, there are people who had just causes that have used tactics of terror. You know, terrorism is just a tactic. And then you have to say, in what cause are they using this terrorism? These people are using it in the most unjust cause that exists, right? Yes. To establish the right. To establish the supremacy of a nihilistic religion is about as most unjust cause if I could ever name one. And so it is not surprising that you're going to use the most nihilist tactics, which, you know, take a, a Western refrigerator truck, you know, made possible due to Western technology and Western freedom, right. and use it right. to mow down people who are out there innocently celebrating that very same freedom, that freedom that is a prerequisite for human life, you know, the ability to be free to make and then, decisions and use your own mind. And then you think about this also, just, just one thing. You, I mean, this is what keeps me up at night sometimes, if I think about this thing. Um, look what they do with planes, the enemy. Look what they yep. do with trucks. Look right. what they do with words. Look what they do with, 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 uh, with, with the Internet. Look what they do with phones, bombs. 
what do you think yeah. they'll do with nukes? You know, because oh, no, of course. what it comes down to, yeah. they're going to set them off. There's nothing stopping them, not us, not the religion, not anything to stop them from setting a nuke off somewhere in the West. They will do it Agreed. eventually. Agreed. Agreed. They will, agree. and that's the horror. And that's the horror because there's nothing that will stop them. And then even if right. they set it off, there will still be some leaders left over who will say, well, you know, we'll have to do No, 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 no. No, you've got to go after the state-sponsored terrorism at that point. You've got to go after every single last shred of this enemy and wipe them off the face of the earth. But who knows, even in that kind of reality, what we'll do. And then you got the guy, remember the Canadian prime minister last year? He says, if we kill our enemies, they win. You know. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no. No, also, no. If, if, we, if, if we kill yeah. these enemies, we, we definitely win. You know, Bosh, I've got another call that's been hanging on okay, for just, some just time one now. One last thing. One last thing. If you don't mind, about okay. Obama said something in two, Obama said something in 2010. He said we can absorb a terrorist attack. We'll do everything we can to prevent it. But even on 9/11, even the biggest attack ever, we absorbed it and we are stronger. He actually said that, if you recall. He it is so revulsifying. It is so it is. so revulsifying. I mean that, and again, you know, the French Prime Minister today saying that France just has to learn to live with terrorism. Mm. No, they don't. There is an answer. And it is in that book, Winning the Unwinnable War. Go to DontLetItGo.com. Check out all the program notes. I have a link to Winning the Unwinnable War if you actually want uh, solutions. Thank, thanks, Bosch, for calling and, in. And, and, if, and if politicians were being targeted the way civilians are, believe me, this war would be, would be over. This war would be over. Take care. Yeah, but instead they're going after the, the civilian targets instead. Let me go ahead and get this next call. Hi, you're on the air. Sorry for the wait. Who's this? This is Charles. Hi, Charles. Hi, Amy. Um, I wanted to touch on some of the things that have been said. You know, I mean, number one, um, every time something like this happens, uh, the response is the same. You know, Western leaders pathetically and feebly light up colors or they raise flags or they lower flags. You know, these are people with, armies at their command, bombs and missiles, guns and ammunition and grenades, all kinds of trained, well-equipped people, and they're feebly lighting up colors as if they're a common civilian with no power. And then we have the talking heads who get on TV, and I'm tired of the talking point that, well, not all Muslims are doing this. It's such a fatuous talking point, the idea that the standard is every single of the 1.3 or 1.5 billion Muslims, whatever the number is, has to be uh, suicide bombing themselves or picking up an AK-47 or uh, driving trucks or hijacking planes or whatever. Right, and if if that's not happening, then there's no connection between Islam and this horrible atrocity, right? Right. Right. And on top of that, uh, you know, I mean, you can make that argument for the Nazis. You could say the overwhelming majority of members of the Nazi party never laid a hand on a Jewish person, never shoved a Jew into an oven or into a gas chamber. But that's not a defense of Nazism. We know what Nazism is and we know how evil it is. And uh, another point is I've noticed uh, just talking to Muslims in person or Muslims I've had interactions with on social media is, you know, there's two kinds. 
just like I figured out, you know, I'm a millennial and I'm not too far past my college days. You know, I had two professors. I had one who was an outright Stalinist and his position was if the utopia is coming, whatever crime Stalin committed were worth it. They were just, he didn't get there, but it's justifiable. I had another professor who said, um, okay, I'm a communist. I'm against what Chairman Mao and Joseph Stalin and all these guys did, uh, but I think communism can work. And I'm, you know, just I'm a peaceful. That's not really communism. And you get the same crap with the Muslims. You have the ones who are outright, open, vicious jihadists who are clear they're on TV they're on social media saying, we're going to conquer you, we're going to kill you, that they're horrific, they're vile. And then you have the other kind that goes, well, that's not Islam, it's not really Islam, we're, we're peaceful, uh, don't judge it, don't condemn us. Well, it's the same thing. The, the end result is the same. Whether the peaceful Muslims have their way or whether the vicious Muslims have their way, the end result is Sharia. The end result is a totalitarian, vile society, and at the end of the day, that's what's going on uh, with with all of this. And I'm right. I'm just tired of this argument that they're all peaceful. The overwhelming majority of them are. This is one man. It's not one man. It's one man in a string of 1,400 years of fighters from nations and ethnicities and nationalities all across the globe. And it, it's, it's been an endless string, and right. it's sickening, and our leaders need to step up. And your, you know, that article you read it was so sickening because here we have Westerners being brutally tortured in the most brutal fashion imaginable, medieval mm-hmm. stuff, and the government of France hides it. They yeah. hide it. And they don't yes. want to talk about it. But meanwhile, the Palestinians are out there proclaiming their supposed torture and their supposed genocide, which is all false propagandistic crap at the hands yes. of Israel. And the Palestinians and the Muslims are always talking about how they're mistreated by the West. They're such victims. They're beaten down. Their Western foreign policy is evil. Right. They're always yeah. complaining and, and wearing and, and on this, their sleeves their victims. This is status. the thing, right? You know, in the in the West, every so often we will have like one soldier who mistreats, you know, a, a prisoner, some Islamic prisoner or something, right? And obviously, the mistreatment is never nearly as disgusting as as what I read you from Daniel's piece, um, and. You know, that'll happen sometimes. And I think sometimes it happens out of, you know, naturally understandable frustration due to the rules of engagement and all this kind of stuff. But the point is, is that it is an aberration. It is the exception. Whereas apparently what we're seeing is that this sort of nihilistic sadism is the rule for the jihadists, right? And people need to understand that. You know, there is... There's nothing commensurate about this. You can't say, oh, well, you know, you hurt me and I hurt you when the person, you know, the the jihadist has hurt the Westerner so much more. I mean, it's just it's not even comparable. It's uh, it's insane. So 
Um, Charles, I do have another call. Do you have another point that you want to make before I let you go? I'm kind of, I mean, I'm glad that I've got a lot of calls today, but I, I also want to get to other notes as well. Uh, no, that's it for today. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Charles, for calling in. And, uh, yeah, we're going to try and hang in there and, and get some better news towards the end of the show. So thanks a lot. One more call I'm going to try to take. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? This is Mark. Mark, are you a first-time caller? Yes, I am. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so I uh, it's, uh, I actually was planning on going to Nice in the fall. I thought that would be the one place that they wouldn't attack. They tend to do it more in the larger cities. So uh, it's amazing that this happened. I actually had um, a comment to make about the... Um, the reason why the French prime minister um, utters the word Islam, and I mean, it's really just a theory, um, but I actually was a French major in college. I, don't, I, don't, I'm a, I work in finance. I don't use it. But my theory is, unlike, um, you know, unlike the leaders today, which are, which are pretty nihilistic, the same way we have in America, I mean, I think the philosophical um, and cultural um, foundations of of France, I mean, they go back to the Enlightenment, are one of, of selfish, um, lo- life-loving, um, mm-hmm. selfish, life-loving philosophy. Um, and they tend to see, I think they, t- they, they tend to see things more in black and white terms. Um, I mean, I know that today it's very multicultural and very suicidal, but, um, you know, my, my great-grandparents actually immigrated from Armenia and France, um, was one of the early countries to denounce the uh, Armenian genocide um, by the Turks. Um, actually, mm-hmm. Germany just did this year. It took them a while to do so, and I, but I was I was still surprised they did that because um, they've long appeased um, the Turks on that issue. But so I, I think I think they tend to be more um, selfish in terms of um, earthly, you know, just living life and living to the fullest. So I think that that leads to being able to to, to speaking out in, in black and white terms. Um, nice, but uh, yeah. but then the question theory. is, you know, now that now that he said that, what are they going to do about it? And if the prime sure. minister is saying, oh, now France should live with terrorism, that doesn't necessarily mean that the requisite action is going to follow the identification of the, the enemy and the problem, right? Yeah. Well, we have the same problem in America too. I mean, our leaders in general in the West are suicidal. I mean, it's I think it's a symptom of, of Western civilization, and it's worse in Europe. I mean, it's not as bad here. Um, but on days like today, I look at the uh, print I got from Bosch. <laughs> it's so frustrating. But um, I actually wanted to, I know you have a lot of stuff on your notes, but today I thought it was a good day to call in about um, an issue I emailed you about a month or so ago on the, on the Bo Bergdahl situation. Um, I think he seems to me, and I don't know the full story, but he seems to me like someone who was trying in a, in a sloppier way, but he is almost like a Snowden, but for rules of engagement. Um, okay. And if you, if, so this is, this, this came from this serial podcast, which I didn't really like. Right. The first yeah. I haven't, I haven't woman. heard it, but you had said you heard it. So, so yeah, you, you so, think they, you, you get the impression that he's like a Snowden who is a lot more mixed in terms of having more negative characteristics and actions than Snowden did? Actually, no. So actually, I no? thought he okay. was less mixed. I actually think, I think he was just, 
uh, less effective. I mean, if you look at the results of what he did versus what Snowden did, Snowden brought a lot more attention to the issue. And so I thought I think Snowden was much more effective and much more calculating. But right. after Snowden published his, um, well, first of all, Snowden aligned with some people that I find distasteful, like uh, Glenn Greenwald. And then, you know, after yes. the fact, he aligned himself with like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Black Lives Matter. So he actually seems more mixed to me. Bergdahl was found carrying a copy of Atlas Shrugged in his bag when he was cap- when when he was captured, and okay. and would say to the people in his infantry unit, you know, all we do is drop humanitarian uh, packages to these people. He said, um, we go to these villages and we hand out these blankets and all this stuff. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be out there just killing these people who are shooting at us, killing these people who just don't care about Afghan people, killing the bad guys. The whole entire army is just pussies. Everyone's a pussy because we don't go out there. We don't kill the enemy like we're supposed to. And so, so your idea is like if we had more people like Bergdahl who would talk about what's going on in the military but would actually be more effective in, in the actions that they took to expose this that we could do a lot better? Well, so here's what I think is the opportunity. Um, I, so I didn't like the host of Serial at all. She's kind of a, I don't know, she's kind of like a liberal, you know, East Coaster. But the the she got most of her material from Mark Bull, who produced the um, Zero Dark Thirty and Hurt Locker. And I think he's going to try and make this his story into a a movie. Um, mm. And he seemed to have a lot more respect and give Bo a lot more credibility. Um, and he seemed to admire some parts about Bo. And I mean, look, when this, when this stuff came out, and Obama took a, and Obama like traded him off for the Gitmo prisoners, and Obama is such an America hating person. My first reaction was, this guy is like a total, you know, um, right. like, Islamist, like, like, like all of us, whatever. Definitely. Sure, but learning about his character, and I mean, he, he was very intellectual. He was, and he and he. Um, he said, you know, I think you read the uh, the email um, about what he said you know, gonna, about you know, how the, the you, system. I'm going to have to ask you to, sure, to condense this a bit because I've almost got only a okay, half hour so left. My, so what I'm saying is I think the opportunity is to influence Mark Bull in this documentary. And if, if this is someone to uphold morally, to, to do it that way. But so just something okay. today, someone who, uh, who, who, who rebelled against the rules of engagement on a day like today, I thought it was a good day to bring it up. So thank you. Uh, don't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah, thank just, you definitely. I just, I just want to do it just a little more briefly today. I'm sorry, Mark, um, sure. to, to cut you off like that. No do you want to try to get through the rest of it? Thanks a lot for calling. And, um, and I do hope that you'll, uh, that you'll call in again, and especially when I've got maybe fewer things on, on the agenda here. As I said towards the beginning of this show, I had a couple of other things to talk about with respect to nihilism. I had already planned to talk about nihilism, unfortunately, before there was the, one of the most you know, horrific examples of, of nihilism out there yesterday in, in France. And the couple of examples that I had is, one, the destruction of the rule of law the, in the continuing destruction of the rule of law this week uh, about with respect to the Hillary Clinton case. And what you can see today, if you go and check out the YouTube videos that I've got assembled, thanks to Glenn Jameson who sent these different clips to me. Um, if you go to don'tletitgo.com, you can check out all these clips. And you can get a sample. This is just a small sample of what apparently over three hours, by some counts four hours, of testimony looked like with Loretta Lynch, refusing to answer 
questions, refusing to state that some of the simplest things were either legal or illegal. She would not answer yes or no to any particular question. So what you see here is you've got the Attorney General of the United States, the highest ranking basically attorney out there, who is refusing to declare whether things are legal or illegal, to make any commitment at all with respect to what the law says about a simple hypothetical. And in doing so, she's not only destroying the rule of law, but also destroying epistemological standards for any of this. She is helping to entrench the idea of the rule of men versus the rule of law. Since we are so crammed for time here, I think I'm going to have time to play for you basically only one clip. And I wanted to play the the final clip for you, but I, I recommend that you check out all of them because you know, they each have a little bit of a something different going on. There's the one where they talks about the fact that, you know, 75 times or 74 times today you refuse to answer the questions and you defer to the, you know, assembled uh, staff and, you know, experienced prosecutors and all this stuff. Uh, all, all of the things that you've heard in the news, you can see perfect samples of in these clips uh, that Glenn sent. But listen to this last one. I'm going to play this last one for you the sense of the nihilism that I'm talking about. Let me see if I can get it to play here. Yeah, I got the iPad going. Let's see if it'll work. I appreciate that. I'm going to reclaim my time here because this is an issue that I know may not be on your radar at this point. I'm wanting to put it square in front and center on your radar because this is a decision that affects a great deal. But it goes back to something that's very disturbing. I never thought I'd say this. I actually, and I say this with due respect, Attorney General, I miss Eric Holder. Because at least when he came here, he gave us answers. We didn't like it. But I've spent the last four hours listening to basically the Attorney General of the United States not willing to make a concrete statement of law, to not be willing to say that when given the opportunity by a colleague of mine, who made the decision in this case? I understand Director Comey stepped up and said, here's the decision we recommend. And y'all, you have been willing to say, well, we just accepted the team recognition. When given the opportunity to say, do you accept this decision, you've never answered directly that you own this decision. Do you own this decision? Congressman, as, as I've stated, I made the decision, and I do accept. I, I did accept it, and therefore I made the decision to accept that recommendation. You, that was the action that I took. The problem that we're having here, though, is you took a decision because you had to. Your own words just a few moments ago that the meeting on the tarmac led you to do something. That was your exact words. It led me to do something, and that was basically recuse yourself but didn't recuse yourself you just said i'm going to accept what they tell me it led me to i love that because she says she recused herself i mean you recusing yourself and not recusing yourself it's the a and the non-a right if you can do both a and non-a as the attorney general you're effectively destroying all standards this was a case clearly where if she felt this conflict, she should have recused herself. And instead, as some of this testimony reveals, what is becoming apparent is that that little discussion on the tarmac may have been manufactured so that she could avoid all accountability for this decision. You know, she said in there earlier, she says that she made the decision to accept the verdict of the FBI and, and you know, this the committee of, of people that they put together. And it's not that she herself is owning their decision. The only decision that she's owning is the decision to defer. So it's ridiculous when she says, well, yes, I made that decision. No, the decision that she's talking about is the decision to completely defer. Discuss the decision that already made about how the matter Had you already had conversations with the team before 
you made this statement and before the meeting on the tarmac? No, uh, before I had a conversation with former President Clinton, I had not spoken with the team. I had concluded in my mind how it should best be resolved because I had tremendous faith in their work and their integrity. Did you uh, have in faith? Do we want our Attorney General to be just having faith in some committee and not actually reviewing the things substantively themselves? No, not at all. So again, she's recusing herself without recusing herself. So Best be no resolved as far as what they're that. doing and the way it was going about or the end outcome? I had no conversations about the end outcome of the investigation. Do you believe that there is such a thing as a strict liability offense? Depending upon the statute, the environment no, matters. No, ma'am. No, no. We, we went to law school. In is OSHA, there strict liability offenses or not? In OSHA, for example, there are. That a some yes of our or no? cases, there are. Simply yes or no. I've given you two two examples. No, I want a yes or a no. Is there strict liability? I've given offense? you two examples. I'm not. At, this is again. She won't say yes or no. The issue that we have here is there's no ownership at DOJ. It's no wonder the optics of this are so bad. I've never agreed probably with David Axelrod in my life, but the optics of this are terrible, and you have, today have made it worse. And as a, also a member of the military who just got through with my drill duty this weekend, you have basically, to me, offended every military member here who handles classified information, does so with their training, and you basically say, well, it depends on this. i got a question for you. Riding down the road, the speed limit says 55. I'm doing 65. Have I broke the law? You'd have to ask the highway patrol. Oh they would God. likely write you a ticket. <laughs> Can you believe that? They would likely write you a ticket I, for I'm that. not sure. I went to a small little, no, you know, little small law school. We taught the law. Harvard, I'm not sure anymore. Did you break the law or not? <laughs> 65 and a 55. My dad was a state trooper. As Be I careful before, with your answer. You're under oath. As I said before, you would get a ticket for that. Okay, so you broke the law. You would you would be cited for that. That would be considered an offense. Can you believe the way In she's this, speaking? This the amazingness of this. When you've been asked many times, you said I'm not going to talk about this. The day after, you said, well, I'm just going to have to accept whatever they tell me, because you're not going to do any investigation. You're not going to put the attorney general, the top law enforcement officer's stamp of approval on it. You said I'm just going to accept whatever they give me. Did you at least read anything before you had a press conference the next day? Did you at least look at the testimony from Hillary Clinton? Well, did you at least look at anything? Know, Time of the gentleman. I did not hold a press conference. The gentleman has expired. The witness can answer the question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I did not issue a press conference. I issued a statement. I did receive a briefing from the team. It was thorough. Um, it discussed uh, the findings that they had come to. It discussed the legal analysis that they had made. Uh, my decision was to accept those findings, and as I said before, that was my decision. It's so funny. So, so she sits there and she talks about the quality of the briefing that she got next to her decision to accept it as if there's a cause and effect relationship, but clearly she means that she had a decision to accept it. And then as a side note, I can describe to you the content of it, but the content of it or the quality of the briefing, or of course, had nothing to do because she had in advance said she was going to accept it, whatever it was. So she says, well, I was going to accept it, whatever it was. But by the way, it was good quality and everything else, but I'm not going to tell you anything specific about it. I can't even tell you whether it is, a, you know, breaking the law to go 65 in a 55. This is the attorney general of our United States of America, the person who is supposed to have the best grasp of law. Anyway, this is this is ridiculous. Um, now we have some people in here, uh, like someone new named Peter Rabbit. 
uh, talking about there's propaganda on both sides. We're being manipulated. Um, how are we being manipulated? Government manipulated. They want you afraid and distracted. You know, I think there is an element of this, right? And and one thing I was going to talk about, and I've got in the program notes for today, uh, you know, what do we see as a solution to this, right? We see this horrible terrorist threat. We know that probably Hillary Clinton will continue the suicidal foreign policies of Barack Obama. And in fact, Hillary Clinton herself as Secretary of State has had a hand in all of this that has gotten us to this place. So there's that. Um, You might start thinking maybe we need to vote for uh, our friend Donald Trump. And I would just hesitate some some caution with respect to going that way. It, It does seem tempting on a day like yesterday, a day like today, where we're reviewing the horrific events of yesterday, uh, the horrible atrocity of, of yesterday, but um, you know this idea that you know there there is there is some idea where you say okay I'm willing now to vote for Donald Trump I'm willing to do anything to avoid this horror the horror both of Clinton who is destroying the rule of law making it the rule of men making it clear that there is one standard applied by our Department of Justice with respect to our military officers who handle classified information or anybody else who is facing criminal charges. There's one standard for them, and then there's one standard for Hillary Clinton, who I guess walks on water for all of these people, and that's what we see here. Um, you know, But again, I, I do highly recommend looking at videos. Uh, thanks to Glenn Jamison for taking, a, taking one for the team, so to speak, and watching that testimony and, and coming up with those representative clips for us. Uh, the other nihilism that I wanted to discuss is a recurring theme that we've had on this show, and that is Obama's nihilism with respect to the office of the president. And we saw that on full display this week when he went to the memorial for the slain officers in Dallas. I have a link to a story over at the Daily Caller, but a number of people have been talking about this this week, that Obama referred to himself 45 times in the course of the speech that he delivered at that memorial. He referred to himself twice, writes the Daily Caller, before finishing his opening salutations and before even mentioning the slain officers or their families. After noting the uh, the presence of President Bush, members of Congress, and Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings, he appeared to go off script. And here's a quote from Obama. Chief Brown, I'm so glad I met Michelle first because she loves Stevie Wonder, Obama said, jokingly referencing Dallas police chiefs David Brown's earlier speech in which Brown quoted lyrics from the song As in tribute to the deceased, the Stevie Wonder song. Uh, President looked around the room, pointed at Brown, and cracked a grin while the audience laughed and applauded at the joke. Most of all the families, and then he proceeded with the speech. But this idea that you're going to make a tasteless speech about, you know, so glad that I met my wife before you met her, uh, et cetera, at, at a somber event like this. And that's how you start out a speech in which you refer to yourself 45 times and use the speech as, you know, just a, a tool for furthering your own political agenda. This is inexcusable. And again, I see this as another example of nihilism with respect to the office of the president. If you look at any of the statements of Senator Ted Cruz and compare them to the remarks that Obama makes, 
you will see a a, a marked difference in in the quality and and with the you know the presidential nature of it, even though Cruz is just a senator, and and if we do get to see him as president, it won't be for quite some time to come. And John Stewart in the chat room says, Obama acts as if he is our father trying to teach us the ways of life. Uh, Tim corrects me and he says, Tim Peck in the chat room says it's a funeral. Uh, State Defiance says, I'm voting for the least worst, the one without cankles. Well, I do question still whether we should vote for Gary Johnson. Uh, On a day like today where I'm worried about the terrorist threat and I wonder whether Johnson would be strong enough against the terrorist threat. I I doubt whether I I still want to do it. But then again, if you do go to the program notes today, one of the things, the good things that I put towards the end is the latest Johnson Weld ad. Uh, The latest Johnson Weld campaign ad is quite good talking about, you know, seriously examining and considering the wisdom of the rules that we've inherited from our ancestors and deciding which ones actually further our lives and which ones don't. Uh, does Gary Johnson reach the same conclusion about all those rules that I do? No, of course not. But this overall idea of questioning the so-called inherited wisdom embodied in the rules of our society is a really great point, and it's made really well in that ad. So do check it out. Um, so that's what I have basically for the nihilism, I do recommend looking at the Andrew Sullivan piece that I've linked to in the program notes at don'tletitgo.com. Sullivan cautions those of us who might say, you know, oh, we have to avoid the evil of Hillary, not just with respect to the rule of law and the, you know, the two uh, kind of paths of of so-called justice, you know, the fact that she gets to get off for offenses that someone in the military would do time for, you know, this idea that there's two tracks that she gets the, uh, she gets a pass is, is horrible. So, right. Yes, it's horribly nihilistic. We can count on her continuing the destructive foreign policy that has got us where we are today. Uh, even so, do you want to vote for Trump? Read Sullivan's piece and, and think about it some more. I talked earlier about the next program note, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's letter to Francois Hollande. I hope that Hollande takes up the offer to work closely with Israel to eradicate this threat. I don't know whether Israel is even going to take all of the steps that it always says are necessary to do it. Um, But anyway, check that out. If you want to do a little bit more activism with respect to Hillary and the fact that she seems to not be going to be prosecuted for mishandling of classified material and and putting our people at risk, you can use this website, Reasonable Prosecutors, that was set up as sort of a petition for people who are reasonable prosecutors that would have indicted Hillary Clinton, would have recommended indicting Hillary Clinton. Go check that out there. I've got that link in the program notes. And then we have um, a series of more good news items. One is that the Senate has passed a Corrin and Cruz resolution condemning the Dallas police shooting. These sorts of things need to be condemned in the strongest possible terms where they are actually identified for the evil that they are, and and including identifying the motive, and this is something that Cruz does well. 
there's a couple of good news items this week in the realm of privacy. And unfortunately, that good news has been swamped by some of the terrible, like I said, you know, horrible examples of nihilism that we've seen. One, thanks to good, Couldn't Be Writer on Twitter, he sent this over via Twitter, Microsoft wins a landmark appeal over the seizure of foreign emails. And the news published yesterday says that a federal court's appeal on Thursday said the U.S. government cannot force Microsoft Corporation and other companies to turn over customer emails stored on servers outside the United States. So physical location apparently matters for jurisdiction. Love it. Uh, The 3-0 decision by the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in Manhattan is a defeat for the U.S. Department of Justice, Department of Injustice now more than ever, Uh, and a victory, they say, for privacy advocates and for technology companies offering cloud computing and other services around the world. The circuit judge, Susan Carney, said communications held by U.S. service providers on servers outside the United States are beyond the reach of domestic search warrants issued under the Stored Communications Act. Quote, Congress did not intend the SCA's warrant provisions to apply extraterritorially, she wrote. Quote, the focus of those provisions is protection of a user's privacy interests. Microsoft had been challenging a warrant seeking the emails stored on a server in Dublin in a narcotics case. Oh, my God, all of this over drugs, right? They say it was believed to be the first U.S. company to challenge a domestic search warrant seeking data held outside the country. Um, So this reversed a 2014 ruling by then-Chief Judge Loretta Preska of the District Court in Manhattan that required Microsoft to turn over the emails. It also voided a contempt finding against the company. So bravo for privacy. Um, You know, I I actually, in my own mind, I'm having a little bit of a, a niggle about whether I think the jurisdiction should apply if it was an, a valid warrant, but I, I don't think that this is, uh, you know, deemed to be a valid warrant. So we have to, to think about that. Um, but yeah, there, are, you know, countries do have identities. They do have jurisdictional limits and those limits should be respected. We could talk about how and whether those limits should be extended right now. We're having to defend privacy in these ways that, you know, are primarily reliant on technology and it is due to the hostile anti-privacy legal climate that we have. And I've talked about that plenty in previous shows. So I'm not going to do that now. Uh, another good ruling this week, Reuters article. And this was sent to me by Steven Rishan on uh, Twitter. Headline, in a first, the U.S. judge has thrown out cell phone Stingray evidence. And for those of you who haven't heard about Stingray technology, Stingray is a surveillance device that tricks suspects' cell phones into revealing their locations. So for all you know, when you're using your cell phone, it is connecting to your service provider's cell phone tower, when in fact it is connecting to and providing data to a law enforcement-run device. And this is done without a warrant, right? And what the judge has done in this case in Manhattan on Tuesday, U.S. District Judge William Pauley, he said that, no, that is a rights violation to do this type of search without a warrant. 
and therefore they're going to throw out the evidence, right? Now, um, there are two separate things here, right? And, and somebody, when I posted this on Facebook, had replied, well, it's not great for them to throw out the evidence. You know, you should still do justice. If it's the evidence of a commission of a real crime, we don't want that evidence thrown out. And what I want people to distinguish in their own minds is the remedy for a rights violation on the one hand, which has been for far too long, since the 60s at least, the so-called exclusionary rule where the judge will actually exclude the evidence. It used to be in the past, and, and if you want to read Professor Akhil Amar, Akhil Amar, I believe the book was called Fourth Amendment First Principles, he writes that traditionally the remedy for a violation of the warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment is to charge the offending police officer or other government agent with a trespass charge them with a trespass or a similar offense like that and, you know, impose a remedy that's appropriate to that situation, maybe some sort of civil remedy, et cetera. Uh, you don't have to throw the evidence out. That doesn't have to be the remedy. But what's important here is that the judge upheld a warrant requirement, that you need a warrant, that you need probable cause and particularized suspicion before you can conduct a search. And a search would include making digital contact with somebody's device and tricking that device into giving information over to law enforcement. So I say bravo to this. Yes, we do have some work to do on what the remedy is for a violation of the warrant requirement, but this is overall good news. Let me take a sip of water here. I got so much going on. I need a one sip. If you were seeing me on video, I'd start to look like uh, Marco Rubio in that moment that I'm taking the, the sip of water, right? So next story is just another piece of good news. And we've got citizens, sort of citizen journalists in this case, doing what they can to counter the Islamic enemy in whatever way they know how, given that our government has defaulted on its proper function, which is to defend us, to defend our rights against this enemy. And um, this was thanks to Tim Pack, who was sharing this on Facebook, and, and I just found it notable. I wanted to share it with you. It's not actually a recent, well, you know, it's kind of recent, 26th of June. Breitbart editor Milo Yiannopoulos, I hope I pronounced that correctly, he's announced that he is going to be leading a gay pride march through one of Sweden's Muslim ghettos in Stockholm in a few weeks' time. This is apparently happening at the end of this month, somewhere around the 25th of July, if I recall uh, correctly. He made the announcement in a live conversation with the Rubin Report's Dave Rubin after discussing Islam with Rubin and the risk that it poses to homosexuals. Here's a quote from Yiannopoulos. He says, when you start to enforce your political or social opinion through violence, that's when there is a problem. Sorry, I'm getting some, uh, getting some extraneous audio there. Sorry about that. Uh, he says, when you enforce those through violence, that's when there's a problem. That is the moment when the whole world should be saying, you are the problem, and we're going to do what it takes to protect ourselves from you. He says, but the left doesn't do that, end quote. You know, it's not just the left that doesn't do that. It's also the right that doesn't do that. The neoconservatives as evidenced through George W. Bush, have failed to do that as well. I think that if we got Ted Cruz, you could say Ted Cruz 
is part of the right that would actually protect us properly from this enemy. But uh, so far, we have not seen a leader on the right who is willing to do that either. Both the left and the right have accepted just war theory. And again, you're going to have to go to the root. Do check out that book, Winning the Unwinnable War, if you have time. And if you know anybody who's in a position of influence that they could share that book and, and the contents of that book with those who are the decision makers, right, and not leave you know, Milo Yiannopoulos to do stuff like this. I mean, uh, what what this brought to mind, I said bravo to him, right? Um, too bad he's gay, right? Um, but actually, uh, he brought to mind, in my mind, the feminist, the French feminist, who a few years ago went down the Champs-Élysées, it's just about two years ago, not quite two years ago, where they went down the Champs-Élysées topless, brandishing plastic Kalashnikov rifles, uh, in order to urge infidels, as they said, to rise up against the Islamic militants who seized large parts of Syria and Iraq. Um, if you go to the link, I've got an article from the local.fr. You can actually see these brave feminists out there. They have actually covered their faces and their heads, but not their bodies. Um, and it's, it is just incredible what they have done. So bravo to Milo. I think he and the French feminists should get together and, uh, and do something uh, together. And again, you know, what would you do? Would you go join them if one of these horrible atrocities was visited upon you? Perhaps, perhaps you would if you were still able to. Um, so some more good news. Let me see if I can go over the, the chat and see how they are. John Roberts in the chat room says, I'm topless right now. Um, John, that's good. But what you need to do is you need to go to the Champs-Élysées and with the sign, you know, and everything else, right? He says, my shirt was sweaty. Um, speaking of, by the way, those of you who do support my show, one thing that of, re- of late your donations went to is replacing my horrible leaky air conditioning unit in my house. So you're keeping me more comfortable while I do my show, so thank you for that, uh, in addition to keeping me informed with uh, the New York Times. A couple more pieces of good news I want to point you to over at DontLetItGo.com. One is a story that I saw from the Washington Post, thanks to Drudge, of all places. The non-religious are now the country's largest religious voting bloc. Now, the, re- the non-religious are now 21% of voters, barely edges out Catholics and some other group. Go check out the link for more details. But I think this is a good sign, again, to the extent that people are not going to be voting on the basis of religion or not taking other actions on it. That would be great. Part of the cause might be Pope Francis dumbing down Catholicism because he's now assuring atheists that you don't have to believe in God to go to heaven. You don't actually have to believe in God to go to heaven. I guess that's heartwarming and everything, but it sort of does as Rob Abiera puts it, it sort of defeats the whole purpose, doesn't it? I think I think it really just does defeat the purpose of, of religion, which is supposed to be faith and the afterlife and, and everything else. Finally, a couple more pieces of good news items. And these aren't, you know, significant things in the culture, but these are just things that you can, I would say, unapologetically, selfishly enjoy while you are at the same time trying to fight the evil that lurks out there. One of them is Sherlock. I really like Sherlock, and they're going to have a fourth season that comes out soon. You can get a 
photo preview if you follow the link at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. And then finally, my favorite band that is currently still producing new music, the Jezebels. I don't think the keyboardist, Heather Shannon, had uh, – maybe she probably is still kind of suffering from it, but ovarian cancer – and apparently she is beating the battle with ovarian cancer, and they are going to be able to reschedule their tour. They have announced Australian tour dates, and they're going to announce more dates next week. So I would recommend grabbing someone you love and going to that concert and or watching Sherlock. Uh, why not do both, right? That, I'm going to leave you with a song from the Jezebels off of their latest album, Cynthia. I think that they will perform this one live because they've said it's one of their favorites, so it's one of my favorites, and it's called Stamina. So everybody go to Don't Let It Go if you want to continue, don'tletitgo.com if you want to continue the conversation. Otherwise, I'll be talking to you next week.
To uh, the few people who stuck out to the very, very end of the song, I hope you liked it, and you'll get a better quality version of it if you buy it on iTunes. Have a good weekend, everyone. Take care.